Welcome to 12 Scholars, a podcast dedicated to leadership development. In this second series, we meet 12 inspiring people, all known for being visionary in their thinking. To learn more about leadership development and how you can take your performance to the next level, visit our website and click the button to subscribe. In this week's show, we meet Andrew Thorpe. Andrew is a coach, trainer and consultant in the field of business communication. So all these narrative concepts or themes, we know they're tried and tested. They work with audiences. You think, well, what what part does love play in business? And she says, take your trousers off. And she says, it's the best offer he's had all week. And he does brilliant intros, um, almost as good as your intros. Andrew started his career in the golf and leisure industry. He worked in management, specialising in corporate turnarounds, but then found himself in a midlife crisis in need of his own turnaround. So Andrew started to coach business professionals on the golf course, and that's when he discovered his special talent, helping people tell better stories about their products and services. Today, Andrew works with businesses both large and small. His mission is to help leaders be more confident and persuasive in the art of storytelling. This interview provides plenty of practical advice that you can apply to your business. We talk about the movies, dry cleaning and three layers of cake. So in this episode, we sit down with Andrew and explore how you can become more visionary when you learn the art of storytelling. So welcome, Andrew, to 12 Scholars. Thank you, Bob. It's great to be here. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Very well. Excited. We're here at Waterstones on Deansgate, Central Manchester, and we're actually sat in between the business management, personal development and English language sections. The perfect example of where your interests lie. Oh, I, I feel I'm, I'm getting more wisdom by osmosis just by being here, Bob. It's amazing. I haven't read a book yet. I'm, I'm looking at them. <laughs> and, and perhaps you could uh, tell the audience why, why Waterstones and perhaps the relevance of your story with regards to books and personal development. Well, I'll, I'll give a short version of this. I was in a very difficult time in my life about 10 or 11 years ago, uh, which I can expand on later on. But essentially, I, I came across you. Um, you rang me out of the blue in your typically breezy way that you did, because we'd met, I think, maybe two or three years before. That's right, yes. Um, and said, oh, hi, Andy, I'm, I'm in town. How's things? I said, well, not great. <laughs> and then I, I explained I was going through some difficulties. Um, and you actually... Uh, brought me up a little bit, you know, made me feel more confident in myself and my prospects for sort of digging myself out of the hole that I was in. And you also introduced me to a lot of um, business literature and self-development literature that you happen to have in your house. Um, and I, I sometimes describe it to people that you had the equivalent of Waterstone's personal development and business section in your lounge. Um, and it, it probably was about as big as my local Macclesfield branch of Waterstone's, which is in Cheshire, where I live. Um, but here in Manchester, it's absolutely enormous. I was surrounded by books and wisdom. But anyway, your your selection really helped me to get back on my feet. And I learned a lot about myself uh, and ways of, of developing, um, not, not really a following, but developing a, a group of advocates who liked what I was doing and what I was developing. And Seth Godin's work, you know, things like Tribes was very influential in that regard. So I, I attribute you to sort of uh, awakening my understanding of myself and also introducing me to some literature that helped me move my life forward. That's, that's very kind. 
You've used the phrase one word equity to describe storytelling and what you do. What do you actually mean by that? Well, one word equity is a, is a phrase I learned from, appropriately enough, a book. It was uh, Dan Pink's book, To Sell is Human. And I think it was Charles Saatchi who first coined the phrase. And it's basically where you are associated with a word or a short phrase. In my case, I've worked very, very hard to be associated with the word storytelling or applied storytelling in the workplace, not, not fictional storytelling, applied storytelling. So that when people think of me, they think of that word. And when they think of that word, they think of me. And an example would be uh, Google. You know, you'd associate Google with the word search or online search. Or when you think of who does online search, you think, well, Google. So if you, if you can get that association, it's a very good way of attracting opportunities for people who are looking for that word or phrase. It's very much uh, marketing or niche marketing. It's like niche marketing. It's pull marketing as well because you're drawing people to you. And I was talking to somebody yesterday about this because he wants to be seen differently for providing a service in the design field, but he's only being asked to do a very narrow range of work at the moment. And my point to him was that, well, to change that, you don't need to wait for someone else to ask you for something different. You've got to change the story you tell about yourself so that people then see you in a different way. I look back at uh, when I was taught how to do public speaking and you know, whether it's part of my MBA and at college, and you're taught this you know, nine o'clock news or the 10 o'clock news you tell them, you tell them again, and then you tell them again at the end. But increasingly, I suppose where we are today, people are trying to now look at the TED Talks format, where you try and get that engagement from the initial outset. And that's a far more compelling way of telling your story. And, and again, if, I agree. And if you listen to neuroscientists, psychologists, they'll say that to be persuasive, you actually need to do three things when you're on stage. You need to grab people's attention. You need to engage them, which basically means drawing them in so that you intrigue them and want, you know, they want to know more. Where's this going? And then thirdly, get an emotional reaction from them, you know, the reaction that you want. So if you want them to be shocked, if you want them to be frustrated, angry, uh, optimistic, inspired, that, that's the feeling that you set out to achieve in delivering the message. So very much start with the end in mind. Yes. How do you want your audience to what, feel? What do you want the audience to think, feel, and do? Most business presentations work on the basis that what do I want to tell them in terms of information? But there's no thought put towards what do I want them to feel and what do I want them to do? Because if you've been persuasive, you've effectively moved them from where they were at the beginning to where they are at the end. And therefore, they should be malleable. They should be putty in your hands. So give them something to do or give them what I would call not just a call to action, but a call to thought. Because if you want a softer end to a talk where you don't necessarily direct them to do something afterwards, that might be a little bit pushy. A call to thought, a CTT is rather nice, which might be a quote, which sort of encapsulates the whole essence of what you've tried to say. When it comes to storytelling and starting with the end in mind, what are the benefits of telling good stories? Well, the first thing we've got to do is define what we mean by storytelling. Um, and the narrowest description would be, or narrowest meaning would be just telling an anecdote. But if you're, if you're talking about the application of storytelling in business, let's say, which is really where I work, business and organizational storytelling, there's got to be um, more than that to it. Because otherwise, it's not just about being entertaining when you open your mouth. 
it's actually conveying a real meaning and a message. It's delivering that key message and communicating with either your employees, the wider stakeholders. Exactly. So it's it's about, first of all, packaging a message. So one of the acronyms I like to use, which we've spoken about many times before, is PAL, and that's pain, aspirin, and legacy. So products and services exist to solve a problem of some kind or a pain. The aspirin is the thing that takes that pain away, which is the product or the service. And then the legacy is the outcome that it generates for the for the buyer. And the problem is that most people who are representing that product or service will talk endlessly and happily about the aspirin without talking very much about why it's needed in the first place or where the client can be afterwards. And the reason for that is that they're very familiar with the aspirin. That's the world they live in every day, and they don't live in the shoes of the people that need it. So it's harder for them to talk about things which are in the client's environment as opposed to their own. Um, And also the pain and the legacy are more conceptual. You're having to paint pictures of what things are like for them at the moment and what they could be in the future, like an aspirational future. It's much easier to describe tangible things like what a product or a service looks like, the process of delivering it, how much it costs, you know, the geography of it. So packaging a message is a key part of, of telling a better story. If you're giving a presentation or delivering a message of any kind, the, the packaging of it is in itself a piece of storytelling. And you talk about painting a picture there. So presumably that, that's one of the skills of storytelling. It's recreating that visual image within people's yes. minds. One, I'll tell you a, a quick story for you. Somebody once asked me in, in a networking event, he said, how do I make my business sound more interesting? So I said, well, what do you do? He said, well, I run a chain of dry cleaning stores. I said, well, don't talk about dry cleaning. <laughs> He said, well, what do you mean? How can I not talk about my dry cleaning? I said, well, think about it. The interesting stories come about through the customers that bring their clothes in that need cleaning or repairing for a reason. And then I did a workshop maybe a year or so later where a woman actually told a story which I've embellished and adapted. And it it goes roughly like this. You know, we've had um, the Thomas Cook situation recently where people sadly have have lost their jobs. The, The company's gone after many, many years. Well, imagine somebody who's 60 years of age, a manager who's now redundant, and he's been the main breadwinner for the family for for many, many years. But at 60, it's actually not that easy to find employment. So there's pressure in the family, there's pressure at home, and he finally gets a job interview. And this is his big chance to get back on the the employment uh, ladder. But it's in a slightly unfamiliar area. It's maybe 40 miles away in a city. And he buys a new suit, which he can't really afford at the moment, but he wants to look his best because this is his big moment. And he parks. It's an unfamiliar area. He's worried that he's going to be late for the interview because he doesn't really know his way around. And he takes a shortcut over a, a metal fence and rips his trouser leg. So now he's panicking. He gets into the street. He's thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to do? He looks around, looks around, looks around, and he sees dry cleaners alterations and repairs (laughs) right i'm gonna go in there and he's only got you know maybe 20 minutes before the interview now so he goes in there's a queue but brenda's behind the counter and she catches his eye notices that he's a bit out of breath and looks a bit and his trouser legs is ripped and she sort of motions to him you know you didn't see that on the on the microphone but she sort of waves her finger at him to come forward and she says what's the matter love he says, I've just torn my trouser leg. I've got an interview in 20 minutes. I don't know. I mean, can you help me? She said, come round the back. We'll sort you out. 
And she says, take your trousers off. And it says, it's the best offer he's had all week. So he takes his trousers off. She does the repair very, very efficiently and quickly. And then he's back on his feet again. He's fine. But he's only got 10 minutes now before the interview. And he doesn't know his way around. But she knows where the interview is because she used to work in that same building. And it's a bit difficult to find because the entrance is a bit obscure. So she says, I'll walk you around. Don't worry. So she says to her colleague, I'm just going to pop out for a minute with this gentleman. So she goes around, settles him in the reception for the interview and then leaves. And he gets calmed down and he does the interview. And lo and behold, he gets the job. And of course, two weeks later, there's a massive bunch of flowers arise for Brenda. And we've got a Brenda in every store that we have in the area. And in fact, some of them are even called Jeff. But that's the level of service that you expect from our people, because it's more than just doing the job. It's actually making the customer feel valued and safe and looked after. So that story is made up. It's embellished because it's based on a real experience of a lady who did repair someone who'd ripped his trousers. But I've built a story around it, which makes us care more about the individual and makes Brenda sound really, really good. And yes, it's longer than just simply describing how many stores you've got and when they're open and what the price ranges are and what range of services you offer. That's the, the factual machinery of the story that you're telling. But it doesn't have any emotion in it. It doesn't tell you anything about the characters who work for you and the care that they put into their work. And that's the bit that's missing. Listening to that story, I'll now go away and I'll, the chances are I'll remember that story a lot better than you would have done if you told me a lot more transactional, you know, this is how many stores, this is how many people we employ, this is our turnover. Yes. I'll think, no, they're about great customer service yeah. and they'll go the extra mile. That's right. And the fact that, you know, you say, well, we've got a Brenda in all our stores and some of them are called Jeff, you know, there's a, there's a bit of humor in that, but also it implies that there's a number of stores and if they're all as good as Brenda, that's good for me. <laughs> you know, that's good enough for me. So you're actually getting some of that factual information round the back door of the story without sort of front loading it and saying, these are our opening hours, these are where our stores are. That's not the bit that hooks people. It's the Brenda story that does. When it comes to storytelling, films are a big part of culture. And I know you've got a great love of films. Perhaps we could talk a bit about how some of the best films tell their stories. I think we can learn a lot from the movies and from narrative literature in general, because there are certain story themes that always work and you see them recurring time and time again. So you have things like the quest is a, is a story theme or a, a trope. Um, so something like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or Jason the Argonauts to go back a little bit. You know, they're all quest films. And of course, a quest is a mission, isn't it? And what do businesses have? They have a mission statement. So again, there's a parallel there between the use of terminology and the, and the way of, you know, saying we're on a quest to do this. We're trying to change this in the industry. So, you know, your, your Ubers and your disruptive industries, your, your WeWorks and so forth, they're all trying to change the way that things have been done for years. They're quite disruptive. And then you have things like Stranger in a Strange Land. So E.T. would be a classic example of that or, or Lost in Translation when Bill Murray goes to Tokyo and meets Scarlett Johansson. Um, so these are situations where your main character is taken out of their normal environment and they're, they're, they're all at sea to begin with until they learn to adapt a little bit. And again, the parallel in business there would be where you might talk about leadership, about growing into a leadership role 
whereas before you've been paid to do the thing that you're good at and now you have to be paid to get other people to do the thing that you used to be good at so it's that transition into slightly unknown territory you can play on so all these narrative concepts or themes we know they're tried and tested they work with audiences so my contention is we'll use those same principles in your business language but obviously make it still believable and applicable and not too out there so that it seems too far removed from the real world. But the, the other concept which you see over and over again is what's sometimes called the hero's journey. So Joseph Campbell was the guy originally that came up with this concept, having studied storytelling in different societies and communities all over the world, was that this pattern recurs over and over again. So in very, very simplistic terms, you have, you know, you introduce the main character or the context in which they find themselves. Life's going along very, very smoothly. Thank you very much. And then bosh, something happens, what they might term the inciting incident. So then there is what's termed a call to adventure. So they then have to um, rise to the challenge of whatever is presented to them to get things back on an even keel again. But they realize that actually, I don't think I don't think I can do this. This is beyond me. I've never done this before. So then they may help, uh, may seek help from a wise one. So that might be the Yoda figure or the, the Gandalf figure in Lord of the Rings. Um, and then together they go into battle, you know, um, uh, to fight the evil, whatever it happens to be, that's disrupted their lives in the first place. And it's not easy. There's lots of tension. There's lots of drama. There's lots of turning points. The thing they tried initially doesn't work. They've got to try something different until finally there is a resolution. The dragon is slain. You know, the evil is dealt with. Uh, but as a result of that, they are changed people. And when they go home, the journey home, the return home, they're able to uh, share the wisdom that they've accumulated in, in that experience with others and sort of pass it on. And this this is a classic kind of um, uh, uh, journey that people go on in life. And it's reflected not just in the movies, but it's also reflected in, in things like case studies. So if you want to find a great way of turning a bland, dry case study into something that's more compelling as a story, look at how you can apply some of those hero's journey elements to it. You touched on there the quest story and the stranger in a strange land. What other types of themes of stories are there out there that businesses or people could apply to themselves? Well, you might have something like Rags to Riches. So a film like Pursuit of Happiness would be a good example, you know, the Will Smith film um, where things were going very, very badly for him and then he made a breakthrough and now he's doing very well, thank you. And that's a, that's a true story. Um, but also something like, um, you know, a love story. You think, well, what, what part does love play in business? And yet if you look at a brand like Apple, you know, people love their Apple device. To be parted from it is like losing a limb for them. It's uh, very know. much a devotion and, is, a, a, and loyalty beyond reason. Yeah, there's a, absolutely beyond reason. So, you know, they'll queue up for hours to get the latest version of this or that. And there's definitely a very strong emotional connection between them and their, and their beloved iPhone or, or, or device. You mentioned about the bigger picture, the facts and these mini stories one of the things you talk about is your three-layered cake. I talked before about the fact that storytelling is about packaging a message. That's one of three of my favorite definitions of storytelling, of applied storytelling. Before I get to the cake, the other one would be where you're using an anecdote or maybe a metaphor to illustrate something like, like I've just done with the Brenda story. 
But the third one would be how do you tell the story of your company or your organization so that it comes across as describing who you are rather than just what you do. So the three-layered cake is the thing that achieves that. So in the middle layer of the cake, you have the machinery. That's the nuts and bolts. That's how many dry cleaning stores we have. Where are they based? What are the opening hours? You know, What's the range of services, the costs, and so forth? Factual. And that framework is necessary to give people a, 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 an understanding of the shape of the business and the type of service that you offer. But on its own, it's very dry and cold and doesn't do anything to distinguish other people that do the same kind of thing that you do. The top layer is your philosophy or your big picture. So that's your why in Simon Sinek terms, your values, your mission, your purpose. It tells us a, a little about the 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 glue that holds the whole thing together you know your true north it's sometimes described as that might be your mission and then the lower layer where i think a lot of the magic lies is the library and those are all the little mini stories or um, things in the media or metaphors or models for describing something so the brenda story is actually from my library the model of the three-layered cake is in my library. So I, I would describe these as wisdom parcels. Then you pull one out when you need to use it. And if I was running that dry cleaning store, then one of my mini stories is that instance, the job interview. There may be another mini story of something else that happened to a different customer you know, and so on. Yes. So you, you populate your library and initially you may have you know five or six solid stories that you can rely on, each of which tells a slightly different angle or has a different angle to it, depending on what point you want to make. And then in time, you develop that and you, you, you constantly refresh it with new things that you've maybe seen in the media or read in the paper or something that happened to you this morning on the way in. But you learn to use them and pull them out when you need them. And comedians sometimes refer to this as rehearsed spontaneity, which sounds like an oxymoron. How can it be rehearsed and spontaneous? And it's a little bit like when they deal with a heckler, you know, someone in the audience yeah. who thinks they're funnier than the comedian is. The, the comedian has to retain control of the situation and put them down quickly. So they pull out their retort that deals with that type of comment and that type of person. And it sounds like it's spontaneous. It's amazing when they do it, but they've actually used that technique many times before for the same type of comment. And that's what I mean by rehearsed spontaneity. So very much adapting your story to the situation and where you may be. It's pulling out the right story for the situation, but you're right in the sense that you may also have a short version and a longer version of the same story, depending on how much time you think you've got. So when it comes to making a presentation, you could have a, a 30 second pitch or a five minute presentation or half hour or longer. But in general, it could be the same story you're telling, but just different versions of it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, so just to summarize, it's a way of packaging a message it, like, like PAL. It's a way of describing your whole organization and the essence of it, not just the machinery of what it does. But it's also a very good way of illustrating something through a story or a metaphor or a model. When looking back, what advice would you give your younger self now? I wish I'd started this earlier. I only discovered what I should be doing in life about the age of 44 or 45, and I wish I'd figured this out earlier. I don't regret having spent that time in the golf industry, but I think it would have been nice had I realized that I had a facility for doing this earlier 
and started earlier. So, so what would that advice to yourself be then? I think looking back, I was too keen to play it safe and to do what I was familiar with rather than necessarily what I had an aptitude for. But this is me. This is who I am now. But it took me a while to discover what it was. And is there a recommended book or podcast? I'm really into Hidden Brain at the moment. Hidden Brain? Hidden Brain is a podcast that's hosted by a guy called Shankar Vedantam, who's a journalist. And it's about psychology, but it, it uses very much a storytelling approach in the podcast that, that hooks people. And he does brilliant intros, um, almost as good as your intros, that really get the audience hooked into what's going to follow. So that's one to look out for, Hidden Brain. And as far as a book's concerned, I'm quite interested to read Malcolm Gladwell's latest book. Is it Talking to Strangers? Which I think is outside now in the, in the foyer of, uh, of Waterstones. Uh, but it's in hardback. Proper yeah, book. But I'm, and I'm from Yorkshire, so I'll, I'll wait till the soft, <laughs> the soft cover comes out. Well, Andrew, thanks so much for being with us on 12 Scholars. You've certainly given me plenty to think about. And thank you once again. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. That was Andrew Thorpe, one of those people who can just tell great stories. In this episode, we learned more about how to be a visionary. Andrew's advice. Grab attention with a captivating story. Deliver an engaging story that goes beyond talking about just products and services. Leave your audience with an emotional response or a CTT. And if in doubt, we should all switch off and head to the movies. At 12 Scholars, we combine print, digital and audio to deliver what we believe is a unique approach to leadership. Our aim is to be your learning platform for leadership development. To learn more about Andrew and meet other inspiring people, visit our website at 12scholars.com. In other news, our next print edition will be available as soon as this lockdown is over. That was a 12 Scholars podcast. If you like the episode, it'd be great if you could leave us a review and be sure to tell one of your friends. My name is Bob and I look forward to joining you next time.